You are live with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I've got my good friend with me today. His name's Carmi Levy out of Toronto. Thanks uh, for joining the program. Great to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. The App Show. We're all about the world of apps, whether that's on phones, cars, TVs, and also the latest in mobile technology. Kind of all the stuff that you need to know in today's world. And we have a great program. We will be talking about the latest from Google. They've had a big conference this week and have announced all kinds of new AI or artificial intelligence tools that uh, will be available to you and I and developers. We'll also be talking about some of the gear that they've announced as well, including a new folding tablet phone. Looks like they're getting into the folding business uh, as well. And a a cheaper Pixel phone that uh, I think a lot of people will be interested in. And a cool new tablet that uh, docks onto a big speaker, giant speaker. But let's get into some of the uh, mobile and uh, app news here. And this was interesting, uh, Carmi. Over in China, they've arrested uh, a guy that uh, has used ChatGPT to create fake news. And this was uh, around uh, reporting on a, a fatal train crash, which is kind of morbid. Mm, it is. And, you know, it, a few years ago, there was a, an actual train crash and the government at the time was uh, was accused of not doing enough to disseminate information quickly enough that they get buried. So there's a lot of sensitivity around trains, accidents and things like that in China. And so the, you know, this individual, he used ChatGPT to create a report, a false report about a train crash. And then he posted it online and he got about 15,000 views, which was more than enough for him to generate revenue off of it, advertising-based revenue. Um, and uh, the authorities uh, found him uh, and uh, and arrested him, basically saying for what they said, their, their wording is, Picking quarrels and provoking trouble, um, and and you know China, of course, has been cracking down on misuse of technology, particularly artificial intelligence. They just released uh, a uh, a draft guideline, and they're asking for public feedback on how to best manage generative uh, artificial intelligence. Um, you know, there 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 are rules. If you introduce a new tool, it is subject to security review. They won't allow you to, allow you to use it or to, to to roll it out in China. If it does not pass that review, um, there's no anonymous users at all. You know, real identities have to be used. You have to provide uh, sort of details about sort of how the data is harvested, how it's being used. Basically, it's like we, we've been, you know, China has had this so-called great firewall of China. They've had uh, this national surveillance system, this national social credit system that takes your online activities, tracks them to a detail level. Uh, and then uses the score to determine whether you get a job, get an apartment, whether you're even allowed on a plane or to travel. Uh, and so this is just a natural extension of that, is that they're, they're watching everything that you do online, and if they don't like it, you get arrested. And now, of course, they're, you're adding AI tools into the mix, but it's really no different than what we've heard from the government before. They essentially want to control the narrative. They're afraid of citizens uh, picking up their own narrative, and they will punish those who they feel cross the line. This is just the latest example. Well, this guy's uh, social credit scores in the in the toilet. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's. I I'm pretty sure he's not getting that job, and he's not getting on that plane. And I'm pretty sure it's going to stick with him for as long as he lives, and he will regret his experiment with ChatGPT. But uh, reminders, and you know, certainly as as someone who's traveled to China, um, that I was keenly aware when I was there. Uh, just how closely my activities were being monitored and how important it was for me to use a VPN while I was there to make sure that that nothing could be uh, exposed. Uh, And I literally lived in fear until the moment that we lifted off to come home. Frightening place to be. 
I'm going to tell you a, a happy story about Facebook now, Carmi. <laughs> There's such a thing? <laughs> I did yes. not know that. <laughs> I've, uh, I've been over in Tofino uh, on Vancouver Island for the past week, uh, kind of mm-hmm. like a, a working vacation. And um, I took, uh, you know, our dogs out for a walk on the beach. And we let them off leash because they're giant beaches and, you know, we'd like to play catch with them. And uh, one of my dogs, he's this little chihuahua, or she's this little chihuahua. Her name's Murphy. And having a great time, but, you know, as you can imagine, there's other dogs on the beach, and I guess a couple of big dogs spooked her. And, Carmi, I've never seen a chihuahua run so fast in my life. And it just, <laughs> it, it ran off, the, or she ran off the beach and kept running, and we couldn't find her. She was gone. Oh. Yeah. And so I'm like, uh, you know, my wife didn't come on, on this particular trip, and I had to, you know, message her, like, oh, I've uh, lost, <clears throat> I've lost the dog, oh. right? I might as well not come oh, no. home. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We have a dog. We, I totally get it. I'd be finding another place to live at that point. So, you know, what do you do, right? Um, it's it's on a Sunday. You know, they do have a animal control here, but they're not mm-hmm. open. Um, but credit to them, you know, we did leave a message and they got back to me the next morning, which was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, what I did was I posted... Uh, her being lost on a local Facebook group, Ooh. like the Tofino group. You know, they've got like, mm-hmm. about 50, I think 16,000 people. Best thing I ever did, Carmi. Like, cause everyone else was like, oh, you got to put it on this lost dog site. And you know, the only yeah, people no. that are looking at that are people that are really into lost dogs. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how big that group is, but. But yeah. everyone's already on Facebook, right? The power of the network yeah. is that you will reach the largest possible audience. And Facebook does a really good job of localizing it using local groups. So unfortunately, poor little Murph had to spend the night out in the wild. Uh, oh, I know. Can you imagine this little chihuahua uh, out in the forest? Uh, wow. But anyway, the next morning, uh, uh, one of the people in the group, you know, private messaged me and said, I think I saw your dog on this, this road. And, and I'm like, when? Well, in the past 15 minutes. So we just zoomed over there and found her within, you know, a few minutes. It was amazing. Wow. Yeah. That's the power of, that's the power of a network. And for all we raged about Facebook being yesterday's news, the kids aren't on it. You know, it's, it's no longer the hot, cool new thing. Truth of the matter is it's got almost 3 billion people around the world yeah. who use it regularly. And, and it is the largest network by far of any tool out there. And, 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 and it, it's so integrated, right? You know, you use private messaging. It's so well integrated into the messenger product that, you know, someone sees something and then boom, they're, you know, they're able to message pretty much anyone, no fiddling with email addresses, no, no anything like that. It's fluid. And, and it, honestly, as for as much as I, as an analyst, have raged against Facebook for years, it does that connecting the community incredibly well. And for all the the alternatives that have appeared, you know, services like Nextdoor, Facebook is still the most efficient way to 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 connect to a large you're, audience. You're totally right. And so my hats off. I, I give you credit, Facebook, and also the the fantastic people of Tofino. They're, so many people reached out and, you know, offered to help. So thank you very much. So social media can be good sometimes. We're going to have to take a break now. When we come back, new folding phones from Google and so much more. Stay tuned. You are back with the program. Google had a big announcement week. They uh, typically have this event every May called Google I.O. And uh, it did not disappoint. They announced a lot of uh, new AI technologies 
obviously trying to keep up with everyone else, and also some new hardware devices uh, as well. Uh, let's maybe just start with some of the hardware, uh, Carmi. And you know, we've uh, talked about some of the uh, the rumors over the past couple weeks, but it looks like uh, they have finally come out with their own folding phone slash tablet. And I have to say, it actually looks pretty good. I think it does. You know, it, it kind of takes all we like about the Pixel branded phones, uh, which is, you know, a pure Android experience, better support from the company. Um, you know, like just, and, and I say this having had Pixels in my past and I always enjoyed them. They always gave me a really good user experience. The software was always bang on. Um, and now, you know, in, build it into a form factor that, Quite frankly, I think really represents the future of smartphones. The folding is it sort of pushed its folding technology uh, deeper into the market in that, uh, you know, you can tell that it's a folding. You can see where the hinge is. It, it's not quite a natural transition from smartphone to tablet mode. Um, whereas the Pixel Fold, I haven't gotten my hands on it, so disclosure yet. Um, but, you know, really, the, the, you know, they've combined, you know, hardware that seems to be next level so like you can't tell where the hinge is when it's unfolded with software that quite frankly i mean at least from the demo looked absolutely seamless no stuttering no lags no jags no anything and so you can kind of flip from one mode to the other without really thinking about it without waiting for the device to catch up just because you happen to be running a lot of apps at the same time so very promising um and not only from a you know this is a really cool device perspective but also from uh, Google's dedication to the Pixel brand, which year to year isn't always a given. Uh, you always know that Apple will put all of its engineering effort into the next generation iPhone. It's the very pillar of the company. But that hasn't always been the case with Google. Um, and looking at the Pixel Fold, it shows very clearly they've thrown some serious hardware and software engineering chops. It's really encouraging. I cannot wait get my hands on this thing yeah i haven't got my hands on it uh, yet either and i might not for a while because apparently it won't be available in canada for the foreseeable future just down in the u.s and a few other countries i think germany and the uk uh, i don't know why they skipped canada uh but yeah uh, from what i see it, <laughs> it it looks thinner uh i'm comparing it against like a, a samsung galaxy fold um and it it just looks smoother mm -hmm. thinner and i i don't know if we're there yet carmy uh, I still think they need to get thinner for kind of mass uh, adoption. This one is kind of more of the phone that turns into a tablet. So yeah. it's it's going to be a bit of weight in your pocket or your purse. Oh, sure. But I think anyone who's buying a folding device at this stage of their evolution, you know, early on, we're kind of in that, we're, we're transitioning from the first generation haltingly into that second generation, but it's still very early. Uh, I, I think they expect that. I think they, they still expect it to be a little bit bigger, a um, little bit heavier, a little bit thicker, a little bit more expensive. Um, and that's kind of the price that an early adopter will willingly pay for this technology. Whereas uh, a later adopter might look at this and go, not worth it for me yet. But, you know, you can see the evolution because clearly this is an improvement over everything else that's on the market. And it means that we're moving in the right direction to the point that, uh, you know, two, three years from now, maybe, uh, they'll be so close in price and capability to existing non-folding devices that it'll be a no-brainer. Everyone's going to want to fold. Uh, and I think that's where we're going. And I think the Pixel Fold you know, suggests that uh, that progress is happening a little bit faster than we thought it was. And also, 
I like the fact that you have a credible competitor to Samsung, which up until now has really been the only credible maker of Android-powered foldable devices. Uh, and so that'll, you know, it'll it'll put this good for everyone. And when you when you have the two most influential players in the Android space going at it with these new devices, that's going to accelerate the the progression of the technology uh, eventually to the point where this will be the norm and devices that don't fold will be considered yesterday's news. Where is Apple in all of this? Do you think this is, uh, you know, a throwdown? Come on, Apple. <laughs> Where's your folding uh, device? I, 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 think, don't, I don't think so, yeah. I think we're a ways away. I don't think Apple's thinking that the folding phones is the way to go yet. Yeah, I think uh, Apple may be looking at what comes beyond. Things like rollable screens, VR, glow. Is, uh, always done the company good. Uh, you know, the Apple does not uh, benefit when it's an early adopter. Apple doesn't need to slug it out uh, with the Samsungs and uh, the Googles of the world. Let them, you know, get through the teething problems of the new technology. Let them learn on their own customers, and then those lessons can then be applied to future generations of Apple products a number of years down the road. We often hear when Apple introduces a new feature on its devices, you know, what took you so long, Apple? And the company, of course, never responds because that's not the game that it's playing. It never plays a, a tit-for-tat sort of feature race uh, with Samsung or Google or anyone else, quite frankly. Um, and and right now, I think Apple is is engaged in some significant investments in their VR goggles or you know whatever that headset ultimately looks like. Uh, and I think that's really the focus. That you know you know what we're seeing with foldable devices is this is what the smartphone of the future is going to look like. What we're seeing with with glasses uh, and headsets is this is what it's going to look like when we no longer carry smartphones at all and I, and I think apple is playing a longer game than most of the other players in the market doesn't mean we're not going to see a foldable or rollable device from apple at some point but it's going to have to make a lot of sense and it's going to have to be up to apple's engineering standards which as we know are you know arguably beyond anything else that's available on the market uh you know with the possible exception of google and samsung but even there, you know, I think Apple still has that advantage and Apple can't afford to have a, an early adopter failure. They have to wait. What, what's interesting uh, is the price still, uh, you know, the folding tablet phones like the Fold, the price is still way up there. I think this one's going for $1,799 US. So that's well over $2,000 uh, Canadian. So I think we're mm -hmm. still a ways away from kind of a mass market adoption. I, I feel that it has to hit like $1,000 kind of like in it, the range of other kind of flagship phones. It does. And, you know, the, the fact that you're spending more on a device like this than on a traditional flagship phone means that you really have to be committed to the technology. You have to really buy into the vision of a foldable device. And frankly, you have to be willing to put up with some early teething problems because the software still is fairly early generation. Um, and so that means it's a pretty small pool, the early adopter pool. Uh, and it means that the vast majority of, of, of smart buyers who don't fit into that uh, are going to wait and are content to wait. And they're watching closely and they're, they're you know, they're, they're reading the, the experiences. And it's going to cost seventeen dollars or $1,800 American, which would be well over 2000 in Canada when it becomes available here. Uh, you know, that gets me an absolute, you know, all singing, all dancing, every bell uh, and whistle imaginable uh, iPhone that is already a known quantity. And if, you know, maybe I'm a little too Canadian for 
for my own good, but if I'm going to spend over two grand on a phone, um, it's going to be on a known quantity, not an unknown quantity. Uh, and so the market still has a ways to go, but we we see this with technology all the time. The course of a few years, the prices come down, the capabilities go up, everything gets baked really well, and eventually it becomes a mainstream technology. That's what's going to happen here. It's just going to take a little bit longer. They also announced a, a new Pixel 7a phone. Uh, typically, the A denotes uh, a lower cost version of their uh, flagship version. Again, the Pixel 7a. I I like some of the specs on this one, Carmi, and I like the price. It's coming in at five ninety nine Canadian, and you're getting the the great Pixel camera. You're also getting wireless charging not uh, wireless charging now and IP sixty seven kind of water resistance uh, rating uh, as well. So so far, uh, you know, on paper, and I'm going to get my hands on one uh, in a day or so here. It's it's looking pretty sweet. For 600 bucks, you are getting a, a flagship phone from maybe a year ago, which is a remarkable bit of engineering and pricing. Uh, and the, the A version, the A model of a given Google Pixel phone has always been a sweet spot for the company. They, you know, they would introduce uh, you know, the 5, the 6, the 7, and then you know, a year later or so, or less, less than a year, they would introduce the A version at I.O., uh, and this obviously continues that. I'm somewhat uh, uh, concerned that I'm seeing rumors, seeing reports that Google may abandon that going forward. Uh, I think that would be a huge mistake because these are the devices that can really bring these technologies and you know, wireless charging and you know, you know, really like a, a, a tougher case that puts up with more. Um, you know that you know the, the the higher level camera, which of course increasingly we all value. Uh, that brings that to a mainstream audience, and it means you're not paying a fortune for it. Uh, in especially today, you know, as economic headwinds gather, as Canadians are dealing with food affordability, housing affordability, inflation, interest rates, you name it, um, phones like this take a disproportionately large role in ensuring that we can have our cake and eat it too take the amazing pictures that wow everyone who sees them uh you know you know have the convenience of wireless charging and a device that you know is all singing all dancing huge power isn't going to stutter like a cheap phone will um but do so affordably it's devices like this that will rewrite the 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 future of this market and google would be you know i I would say I, I would advise Google to think twice about canceling this layer of their Pixel brand. Um, those A phones really are probably the, the the best value for the money devices on the market, bar none, at this point. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more of the Google News, including a new Pixel tablet. They're really trying to make a go against uh, the iPads out there. And what is Google doing about AI? All that and more here on the App Show. Stay tuned. You are back with the App Show. Mike and Carmi here. We're talking all about the new Google announcements uh, this week. They've announced a bunch of new products, including a new folding tablet phone, a new uh, Pixel 7a, a low-cost uh, flagshipy phone for about uh, 600 bucks Canadian, beautiful camera, wireless charging. And uh, they also announced a new Pixel tablet with a, a cool speaker dock and you know, it, it's hard to compete in the tablet world against the iPad. iPad have just kind of dominated uh, that that whole side. Uh, so there's like the iPads and just everyone else. And it looks like Pixel's trying to kind of make a, a run against them. I think it's brilliant. Uh, and I've never said that about an Android-powered tablet before. So, you know, mark this date in history. I think 
Uh, Google is wise to not go directly for the iPad's jugular. You're right. You will not compete against the iPad. It is a category of one, and I think Apple has won that war. And it doesn't make sense for anyone else to to you know re-engage in battle on that. Your your smartest move is to create something that isn't an iPad. And by including that speaker dock, I think it addresses one of the key use cases that, you know, I think all of us wrestle with. I wrestle with it in my home office because I like having a second screen off to the side. Uh, I like using it for notifications. I like listening to music. Uh, this addresses that, you know, is it a better iPad? I don't know. I haven't used it yet. I don't know if it's better. Uh, if the software runs better, I don't know if the battery lasts longer. That's irrelevant. But as a device that sits on my desk, uh, and does the things that I need it to do as I move my way through the workday, uh, the iPad, quite frankly, is lacking. Uh, and if I want it to be not lacking, it's going to cost me a pretty penny. Uh, whereas for this device, uh, it you know it, it, this addresses a use case that matters a lot to me. Um, and I would certainly love to give it a try. Uh, no, it doesn't have all the Apple services, but again, it never would anyway. Um, but it could be just good enough in in a whole lot of other ways that it would be worth it for me to finally, you know, pull out my wallet and buy something with uh, with Android instead of I, instead of iPad OS. And I think it's worth trying. Um, and I, I've got to laud Google for not giving up on the category, uh, for recognizing that there are niches and, and sort of shadows in between where iPads are sold. Uh, where there are people who simply can't find devices that meet that need. And this, I think, addresses a very particular need that a lot of people have, don't necessarily talk about, and you might find these popping up in homes a lot more frequently than uh, earlier versions of these tablets have. It really reminds me when it's in the speaker dock of uh, the Google Nest Hub Max. Yeah, it's a giant, it's a giant Nest Hub Max. Um, so maybe max squared who knows but and it's funny i've i've almost pulled the trigger on on a nest hub max a number of times but the lack of flexibility stopped me from doing so it, it, because it would just sit there on my desk which is great for when i'm working but when i move away from the desk or if i want to you know maybe have a video call somewhere else in the house or take it with me not quite convenient so it didn't do that dual purpose uh, whereas uh, a tablet which essentially replicates all of the nest you know, screen functionality plus plus plus. Then it operates as as a tablet and comes with me. That's the best of all worlds. And even better, uh, you know, perhaps it can come in at a price point that's super competitive with the iPad. And it looks like Google has has succeeded on that front too. So you sort of put it all together and you sort of ask yourself the question: Why do I use a tablet? Um, and what I find interesting here is that Google came up with some answers that aren't necessarily the same as Apple's answers. And I, I, I like that. It means that the tablet market still has room for innovation uh, and Google is still willing to roll the dice and, and, and try something different. Uh, I think that's cool. And, and I, I think this will do better uh, than people think it will. A lot of people think Android tablet, nah, you know, the only ones that really matter are, are from Amazon. You buy the, 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 the Kindle Fire and they're super cheap um, and whatever, and there will always be a market for those. But for for one that you're actually proud to share with friends, I think this one might uh, might steal a few sales from Apple. I like it. I have a Google Nest Home Max in my kitchen, and it mm -hmm. is used all the time. But I like the fact with this one, it's a much bigger display, and you can it's a tablet, right? You can take it off that speaker dock and just kind of yeah. take it around the the house with you and it's interesting they're they're only coming out with a, a wi-fi version of it so there's no mm -hmm. cellular version so they're really expecting that this is a home tablet it's not going to be traveling around with you 
I think so. And, and I think also like just speaking from my own personal experience, uh, you know, I've, I've always kept like whenever I buy an iPad, I just buy the Wi-Fi version of it because I, I can always hotspot it with my iPhone. And I've never, I realize it's an extra step to take. Um, but also from the purpose of I use it only every once in a while and it isn't worth me having a separate subscription with my telecom provider. It works for me. And I think that's what I think Google did some really good customer research and really zeroed in on how people are using their tablets and what the split is between 5G capable tablets and ones that are just limited to, to Wi-Fi. And I think they know their audience here. And I think you're absolutely right. They sort of recognize that uh, the engineering effort required to bring a 5G version to market simply isn't worth it based on on the, the, the estimated take rate. Uh, and how most people are going to use it. And so I think 95% of the time, it'll live and work in the home. Uh, and then for the 5% of the time that you throw it in a backpack and take it with you, uh, the you know, Wi-Fi connectivity through your hotspot is more than good enough for those particular scenarios. So also at the Google I.O. event uh, this week, AI was a huge, huge thing for them. They announced a, a whole bunch of uh AI things, uh, you know, obviously Bard is their version of ChatGPT. They've opened it up. There's no waiting list anymore. They've got a new AI uh, programming or development uh, kit uh, language called Palm 2, I, I believe. And mm -hmm. uh, they're also integrating generative AI into search as well. I guess, again, trying to compete with Microsoft's Bing, which suddenly is a competitor again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who would have thought that you know Bing would sort of come back from the dead and and actually threaten to take Google's crown? And I think this really does show that we're at that that inflection point in history where search is is gradually fading as the the dominant technology and artificial intelligence is is ready to assume the crown. And I think that that scares the daylights out of Google and its parent company Alphabet is that it has dominated this market and has created a, you know hundreds of billions of dollars a year uh, uh, ad business based on search. And all of that technology and revenue is under direct threat from the emergence of AI. And Microsoft has very savvily moved to uh, inject all of that capability into Bing and its other properties fairly quickly. They've done a you know, they've, they've invested in OpenAI, they're $10 billion in, um, and and they've essentially bet the future of the company on it, while Google uh, has felt compelled to protect its search business because it has the most to lose. So I think, you know, Google incorporating more AI smarts into search is a sign that it it's it sees the writing on the wall and it knows that ser the search era is drawing to an end and that it needs to go pedal to the metal on AI and, sh and the, the volume and breadth and depth of announcements that center around AI at this IO conference show very clearly that that code red that the company called when ChatGPT was first released, where they sort of recognize we need to change the direction of this company, that they're actually they're making great progress on that. It's only been like basically half a year since this since ChatGPT went live, and already Google has essentially reoriented itself and is bringing new AI generated products to market, not just separate products, but products that are integrated into its existing product lines. That's an impressive pivot. Um, and it's right on the same lines of, you know, Microsoft moving into cloud as its core operating system and productivity software products a few years ago started to fade, started to flatten out. Uh, Microsoft reinvented itself. Now we're watching Google do the same thing. And this IO, I think, presents the most evidence thus far that they're succeeding. So good on them. Good on Cinder Pichai for, uh, for leading the charge. 
They also announced uh, that they will be integrating AI into their uh, Google Workspace, which is like Google Docs and, you know, their spreadsheet mm-hmm. and, and email and, and what have you. But some uh, pretty impressive uh, demos, like basically you can get it to uh, create a, a job description for you just with, a, you know, a few keywords or, uh, you know, a business plan or... Um, God, it goes on and on. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, a presentation as well. They, um, you know, shot how showed how it can just generate like images of a, a slice of pizza being dipped in fondue. Like this mm-hmm. is, it, I love this, Carmi, because it's going to save so much time for for absolutely. People. It nothing scares me more than when I I, I open up a, a Google Doc sheet or something in Word or whatever it is, right? Just any page screen, and it's blank. Um, you know, you're starting off just with that blinking cursor, you know, looking at you mockingly. Uh, and then to start from that point is, for a lot of people, including myself, is really hard. So by using artificial intelligence to essentially take a, a template and then, you know, put it on steroids, which is really what, 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 what we're talking about here, it shows you the true capability of AI when it's applied to use cases, scenarios that really matter to you. And that excites me most because that's, you know, if I tell people, you know, I, I used AI, uh, you know, I, I, I used ChatGPT or I used BARD um, and I asked it some questions and I got some answers, they'll just shrug. But if I tell them that, you know, it helped me create a resume from scratch uh, without me having to write it from scratch, it helped me block out this massive business report that I'd had difficulty creating, um, yet it showed me the way. And then I, you know, obviously filled in the rest, but it got me so much further than would have otherwise been the case. That's the kind of stuff that gets people's attention. And that's the, it's, it's not AI taking over from us. It's AI helping us be better versions of ourselves. And that excites me immensely. Baking these into the tools, these capabilities into the tools that we use every day, it superpowers our ability to get work done. And and I you know I I, I use the Google Suite uh, most days. I also use the Office three sixty five. So seeing them side by side, uh, you know, this is I, I think Google explaining to regular folks like you and me uh, how they work. Uh, and I think that's super exciting. I I feel little tingles in my spine when I see demos like this because that's when you really know that the world is changing. It's interesting because you know in my company you know we're hiring people constantly. Mm-hmm. And I had to write a job description and I hate writing job descriptions. You know what I mean? Like it's hard. <laughs> oh, it is. It's, it's, you worry, what am I missing? Am I getting everything right? Am I doing it in the right order? How does it compare to other job descriptions? So I with use, AI, you don't have to worry about no, that. I use chat GPT to write a job mm-hmm. description for one of the positions. I, I can't tell you how much time it saved. Was it perfect? No, because obviously I didn't give it enough information, but it, yeah. got me, it got me 90% of the way there. It probably saved me half an hour of time of monkeying around and cutting and pasting, you know, or, or I'll call stealing from other <laughs> job descriptions mm-hmm. on, on the web. It, it, it's just amazing. And having that tool built right into Office or Google Docs is just going to be life-changing. Yeah. And that's, so you, what I like about, about sort of the announcements that we're seeing from Google and from Microsoft is that increasingly... We don't have to go out to a separate tool. I don't have to load up ChatGPT. I don't have to load up Bard. ChatGPT for Microsoft products and Bard for Google products. It now comes to me using the tools that I've been using all day, every day for years. And and to me, that's empowering. That means that I'm spending less time pulling my hair out trying to come up with something from nothing. 
and more time reviewing what the AI tool has developed for me based on my on my query. And then I can just tweak it to to my you know to my satisfaction. So my voice is still in there. My style is still in there because I'm I'm sort of taking it from now. 90% technology do the heavy lifting. And that's the promise of AI. It means that the final result is easier for me to get to. And I would argue that it's better because I spent more time really doing the hard thinking and less time being frustrated about the process. Uh, and is that what we want? Like, you know, we, we, we used to say, well, math isn't math if you're not doing it by hand, you know, long division and long multiplication. And along came calculators. Well, calculate electronic calculators freed us from the oppression of having to calculate by hand and so we could do higher order math i would argue that our ai tools today are the same thing our work is now of a higher order because they're incorporated into everything that we use every day we're gonna have to take a break when we come back we're gonna be talking about vietnam and social media they are passing some laws that would make it illegal to have anonymous social media accounts I'm I'm kind of liking that, but there are downsides, and we'll go through that. You're listening to the App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this, you are back with the App Show, Mike and Carmi here. Carmi, I, I think one of the the things I hate sometimes online, uh, you know, when you're in these user groups or uh, Facebook groups, uh, even in uh, online forums and you know, if you're responding to comments on like news groups, like on the CBC or you know global or what have you mm-hmm. is a lot of times you can be anonymous and mm-hmm. i feel that's a blessing and a curse do you know what i mean like oh yeah there's there, there are two sides to it on the one hand you know it's it's a curse because those who hide behind the cloak of anonymity can essentially say and do whatever they want without fear of repercussions so yeah. there's a lot of i mean just you know look, look at the comment section it's it's frightening i wouldn't want my kids in there but the flip side is, is that when people feel that they have the protection of anonymity, they are willing to share. And it's important within the context of a democracy for individu- individuals to feel that they can share what they know without being targeted as a result of it. And, you know, like imagine anonymous, you know, not having anonymous sources in journalism, um, you know, to, to lack that ability is, is kind of a frightening place to go. Uh, and you certainly wouldn't, you know, I, I, you know, like, like you said before, you know, Watergate would not have occurred if not for the anonymous source. Imagine a regime where the government essentially says no anonymity for anyone. We will shine the light regardless and we will know who you are and where you live. That's scary. Uh, and that is so anti-democratic principles. So I'm willing to put up with the annoyance of trolls on social media in order to preserve the sanctity of the ability of a, re- a regular citizen to decide for themselves whether they want to be shielded or not. And that's where our discussion <laughs> starts, Carmi. It looks like, <laughs> looks like Vietnam does not want anonymous people on social media. They basically are passing some amendments to a telecommunication law that will come into effect at the end of 2023 that would forbid having anonymous accounts on foreign and national social media outlets. So, for example, on Facebook, you can't make up a fake person. Mm-hmm. It has to be you. I don't know how they're going to verify that. They say they're trying to crack down on things like fake news and online scams. I can see that. I totally get it. Uh, but to your point, uh, in a democratic society, it's it's kind of a check and balance, isn't it, really, to have anonymous yeah. sources. So as much as I hate mm-hmm. the anonymous 14-year-olds trolling everyone uh, on, on these sites, 
is that just something we have to live with? Uh, I, I think we do uh, to a certain extent because certainly the social media platforms have shown themselves to be powerless to address troll-like behavior. Um, it, it goes against their very business model. They make money. The more we interact with those with those platforms, the more ads they can serve up. And so if they actually invest the engineering resources, develop the AI, hire the people, all that to identify and remove misinformation information and those who would share it, uh, it actually hurts their bot- their top and bottom line. So they're not really motivated to do that unless the law tells them to. Um, so they're, you know, the platforms themselves haven't resolved it. And and to, to a certain extent, I think that's just the way the internet is. We just have to accept that like the real world, which can be dirty and, and scary in spots, the digital world echoes that. Um, but, you know, the answer to me is not, uh, you know, a government like you can go to Singapore, uh, for example, and a government not known for its adherence to democratic principles, and the streets are remarkably clean. So there isn't a whole lot of troll-like behavior on the streets. Uh, street crime is way down. It's a very considered a very safe place to live, a model city-state, if you will. Um, but uh, you know, try uh, dropping gum on the street, and then you know the concept of legal due process doesn't really exist there. So you know, we can have our cake, but do we really want to eat it too? Do we want to give up our our you know? rights to live within a democratic context so that we can have those clean streets or those lack of trolls online and i think most of us would say no and certainly vietnam this is a country which has the third worst uh world press freedom ranking um on planet earth behind only north korea and china so this is a country that also not known for you know its democratic principles because it isn't a democracy uh, or a functioning democracy by any stretch of the imagination and uh, and you know to have a, an autocratic government uh, imposing its will on social media platforms telecommunications companies to essentially identify everyone and ban you from hiding behind anonymity is uh, really antithetical to anything that we stand for here in Canada. And I, 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 I'm, I'm certain we would never see anything like that here. Um, but it, it behooves us all to kind of keep our, our vigilance up and recognize when it's happening in other countries and then you know, look inward and say we are incredibly lucky to live where we live. Looks like that's all the time we have left for the program today. Don't forget to listen to our sister show. It's called Get Connected. It's a fantastic show all about uh, the latest in tech, smart homes, smartphones, you name it, we talk about it and we, we keep it simple. Keep you informed on uh, all the tech that you need to know about in today's uh, world. You can uh, find the podcast versions of these on your favorite podcast sites like Spotify, Apple Music, Curious Cast, and uh, I think you should subscribe to both of them. They're great shows. Carmi, I have to thank you once again for uh, coming on the program and uh, sharing your views. So great being here with you, Mike. Thanks again for having me. That's all the time we have left. Mike and Carmi signing off. We'll see you again next time.